Father Dave's like Adam Gilchrist. He doesn't need a warm up. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where I'm expected to come up with something witty to begin every episode. Only this week, I haven't. But you're welcome. Marty and Hello. Father Dave. Yeah, thanks. How are you? Good. Hey, Sam, before Father Dave says anything, I uh, looked at your website the other day because I got this idea that like friends look at friends' websites. First time ever. Do you have one? No, so you're off the hook. But I just Excellent. thought having told you that I'm your friend and declared that publicly, I thought I should follow through on that and have a Actually look. Actually see was, who I am. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was impressed. It was better than I thought it would be, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's a bit like your concreting skills, isn't it? <laughs> your, your grandfather was a concreter, Nono. That's right. Very thick, very strong. You pay cash, you do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Marty decided to try and fix the, uh, the driveway at his place one day and his Nono walked past and looked at it and just said to him, you didn't do as bad a job as I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> Compliment right there. Uh, Father Dave, how's Darwin? Darwin's going good. It's starting to get hot again. Already? Yeah, we, we have three <laughs> weeks of like the most beautiful temperature and the humidity is already kicking back in and it's getting up to 30 degrees. And so from here on, it's just going to get ugly for the next four months. <laughs> for our, I, I know that we do have around uh, 20 to 35 American listeners. So 30 degrees Celsius, we're looking at somewhere in between 80 and 100 Fahrenheit. We're getting into that range for Darwin at the moment. It's hot and humid, whereas we had four inches of snow this week. I'm at the other end of the country. It's a big country. It is. I'm in the uh, Canadian part of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Canadian bit of Australia. Uh, a special treat today. I'm really looking forward to this. For anyone who has ever heard me speak or has read the book of The Walk Around the World, you will recognize the name pretty much straight away in that a lot of people when I see them a few years after I've given a speaking engagement they remember this priest's name I speak about I usually wrap up reflection days by telling a particular story of crossing Shirley Basin in Wyoming in the United States of America which was 148 kilometers or 89 miles in their speak and it was minus 22 degrees Celsius when I walked into Medicine Bow in Wyoming and with a three-day walk ahead of me with nothing in between all the locals were saying don't do it don't be stupid and in the end in prayer I, I genuinely felt that God was asking me just to trust him just start walking and a lot had happened up to that point. I was 10,000 or 9,000 kilometers into the journey. And on this particular occasion, decided to heed that sense and just trust and headed out. And so many things just slotted into place. It was quite phenomenal. Random Christians started rocking up, not knowing that I was out there and carrying exactly what I needed. And three days later, in a lot of pain, I think I had mild pneumonia at the time and my left toe had split open and I was dehydrated, but walked out three days later of Shirley Basin into a small city called Casper, at which point I met a priest by the name of Father Robert Fox. And Father Fox has joined us today from the USA. Father Fox, welcome. Good to be here with you. Great to hear your voice again. Uh, it's uh, been, what, 
12 years, I think. Yes, yes. Well, nearly, nearly 13 since we, we first met. I would like to begin by sharing a little poem. I had talked with you about maybe sharing some poetry. And I'm, I pulled this one out because I've been listening to your podcast. And I'm particularly impressed with the joy and the enthusiasm that you guys radiate. And you remind me in a lot of ways of young boys who just maintain that enthusiasm, even dealing with difficult things. So this is a poem called, When I Was a Boy. When I was a boy, joy was an unexpected toy. There was surprise in my eyes when I got French fries with my hamburger. I would play all day and not once did I say I should, nor did I analyze as I gazed at the skies filled with wonder. Every moment was my home and I was never alone. My every act was filled with passion and for hours I could sit and fashion dirt clods into hand grenades which I lobbed into my neighbor's yard. <laughs> but he survived to play baseball with me later. We played a game. We played. That's it. Beautiful. That's really raised the bar. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that you can expect this episode of Sons of Thunder to be twice as good as all the other ones because we've got not one but two priests on this time, but... It might even be even better than that. And he's quoting something other than C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I particularly avoided C.S. Lewis. <laughs> you guys have covered him well. Uh, well and truly. Now, I remember when I came and stayed with you in Wyoming, we had a, a night round the table sharing poetry. Well, yes. to be honest, it was some of your poetry, but then you actually gave me two small books of poetry of other poets because in your uh, big book you wouldn't be able to carry it all the way to exactly <laughs> which some people did which were promptly handed on to the next person i met <laughs> someone with a car <laughs> so, and a house yeah now to put this in a little bit of context uh, when i met father fox i was very tired a little bit sick and a lot of pain and was feeling a little bit disgruntled because I walked down the, is it OG Road? Is that what it was called? CY Avenue. That's it, CY Avenue. OG Road's in Adelaide. That's where I got that one from. Wrong one. CY, CY Avenue in Casper. And I had walked past a number of churches that were locked and a number of hotels that I wanted to go into but felt that I should do the mission, which was to invite Christians to pray for unity. And you were the only person who was home at the time and it was somewhere around 5 or 6 p.m. Correct. When I, when I knocked on your door and I, I introduced myself. And I must have been looking a little bit shabby at the time. You had first stopped over at the building behind the church where my religious education director was. And she said, you look kind of scary. So she sent you over to me. <laughs> I actually have no recollection of going to a building next door. It's funny what you remember and what you can I can I, uh, can I just jump in at this point and say, having, having read Sam's book and talked to him at length, and I've heard him bang on so many times about crossing Shirley Basin and turning up at Casper and meeting you, I want to flip the tables and just say, Father Fox, what was it like for you 
when you answer the door to find Big Sam? So the, the story as I remember it, I had told my secretary not to bother me. I was going to go watch the World Series. It was the Colorado Rockies against the Boston Red Sox. Oh, that's that other game like cricket. Yes. <laughs> so, so I went and kicked off my shoes and was watching the, the preliminary before the game. And my secretary buzzed to me from the office and said, I know you told me not to bother you, but there's a guy here I think you'd like to meet. And so it's like, okay. So I went and put on my shoes and walked out into the office. And my first impression is, this is a homeless guy looking for <laughs> And uh, I'll see what I can do for him. And the first thing he said to me was, would you be willing to pray for unity with me? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so we prayed together. And then I asked a few more questions about who you were and what you were doing. And you begin to explain some of the journey. And uh, at that point, I thought, I want to know more. And so I asked if you were hungry. And you said, yes. And I said, can I take you out to dinner? And you said, you don't have to do that. I said, no, I'd like to. And I took you to the Outback Steakhouse in Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> Was, Which that, was, was that like a sports bar with the um, baseball on or was that or was that a sacrifice that you had to? <laughs> it was my attempt at humor to make an Australian connection. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a whole heap of American food with labels that made it sound Australian. <laughs> There's a little bit you've missed out here which was when I first opened the door looking like a homeless man. Strictly speaking, you were a homeless man at that point. I was, yes. Yes, not only did I look like it, but I lived it at the time. But I introduced myself, and I distinctly remember you, Father Fox, saying to me, my team is about to play off in the World Series baseball final for the first time ever. Was it the first time ever that they'd, they'd made the finals? Colorado Rockies, first time ever. There we go. All right, good. I'm glad that I remember that right. So you said to me, my team's about to play for the World Series baseball final for the first time ever. My dinner is on the table getting cold, and I have a meeting in an hour and a half. This is about the most inappropriate time possible you could have chosen to knock on my door. All <laughs> of then, that is correct. And then, and then the niceties came following on. So I was, <laughs> uh, I, I was very aware of what you were giving up. And, and I found out the next day that your Rockies had indeed won that final, <laughs> the first one. Uh, you gave up a lot to buy me dinner. And, and then you popped me up in the, the Marriott Hotel for two nights. So the, the story of how you got to the Marriott is I was going to put you up in the Super 8 motel that you walked past as yeah, you were coming the first one I saw. down CY Avenue. And we went there and they were full. So then we went to a Best Western motel and they were full. And I asked the person there, I said, why are these places full? It's in October and it, this doesn't make any sense to me. And they said, there was a volleyball tournament, a girls' volleyball tournament in town. And I said, are you aware of any places that might have rooms available? And they said, the Hyatt just opened two days ago, and you might be able to get a room there. So that's where I took it. So the Lord, the Lord provides. This, this detail, which wasn't in the book, but, you know, you walk past all these cheap hotels to get to Father Fox and then, then couldn't get into the cheap hotels and got into a good one. I got into one I felt grossly <laughs> out of place in. 
<laughs> I remember standing were, in the were, room. Were I there any the... other homeless people there, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't recognise me the next morning. Shower so then I, then, then I told Samuel I would pick him up and uh, the next morning and bring him into Matt. Well, first thing, even even before we went to the hotel, there was a group of students who were meeting to prepare to go to World Youth Day in Australia. And oh, I right. asked I asked Samuel if he would be willing to come and just say a few words to them and talk a little bit about his mission. Do a and cultural you, induction kind of, you know. Yeah. And you graciously accepted, even though you were obviously hurting, and, and told them a little of your story. And then I took you to the, uh, uh, the Hyatt. And then the next morning I came and picked you up and brought you back to the church. I was a late getting and, down to the foyer. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then invited you to tell the people who were at Mass that morning a little bit about your journey too. And I remember walking, because it was right at the end of Mass, you invited me to walk out with you, process with you. And as you're walking down the aisle, you leant across and said, I have a confession to make with a grin on your face. <laughs> and you said, I've, I've made some phone calls. And we walked outside the church to a mini press conference. You'd rung the state newspapers, television crews and radio stations, and you'd rung the local pizza guy as well. Also some... correct. <laughs> I, was, I was very presumptuous that you would participate willingly with all of them. <laughs> but you had a fair bit to do with uh, promoting unity in truth and yeah. love in Casper. I was, was the uh, Catholic representative to an organization called the Wyoming Association of Churches. And for several years, I had attended a monthly meeting where we met with other denominations. And, and I did have a, a passion for that. So to hear your story and to hear your passion for that was just very reaffirming. Well, the beautiful thing for me was that during the press conference, one of the reporters asked dismissingly, why are you putting your life on the line for unity. Why not walk for something worthwhile? And I was a little bit uh, taken aback by the question, but I didn't have to answer it because with your pizza in hand, actually, I think you've thrown your pizza back in the box. I did. You, just, you, turned, you turned and drilled this guy. It was a little bit like for us when Marty or, or I say something slightly incorrect and Father Dave just chimes in. Goes, uh, actually... It's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> anyway, Father Fox gave the most succinct and passionate answer for why unity is our Christian calling and that it, it is perhaps one of the most important things we could do. Can you remember it? Can you, can you do it again, Father Fox? No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You know, for, for the two of us who weren't at the press conference? It was, it was one of those spur-of-the-moment, Holy Spirit-inspired moments. Nice. Now, in the years that have followed, you've obviously had a, a very different journey. You aren't in Casper, Wyoming at the moment, are you? You're down in Denver. I'm in Denver, Colorado, at a place called the Prophet Elijah House. It was built in 2019 to offer a place for priests who are uh, retired and don't have a place to go, or priests in my condition who have sickness. And uh, um, I'm the first one to come from, from Wyoming. The Archbishop of uh, Denver allowed me to come here and stay in this house. 
I have a brother who's a priest and his parish is about 10 minutes from here. And um, I've been really blessed to get to know there are seven other retired priests who live here. Most of them know my brother very well. So I've been enjoying telling them stories about him. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you mind elaborating a bit on how you ended up in Elijah House? So What's happened health-wise? I was being treated in Casper by a place called Rocky Mountain Oncology. And for the past two years, I've been receiving a monthly injection of a drug called Lanreotide. That's no longer working. They referred me to a surgeon down here in Casper. And two weeks ago, I had an embolization of the liver where they cut off the blood supply to part of your liver. And uh, that was not too terrible of procedure. I did end up spending one night in the hospital and I learned something about the liver. The doctor told me this, but then I experienced it, is the liver doesn't have a specific place for pain. So when they cut off the blood supply to the liver, I got pains in my stomach, in my chest, in my clavicle, in my shoulder, and even in my leg. And they said, that's all liver pain. It's just kind of phantom signals that go out from the liver and, and you feel them in, I feel them everywhere but where the liver is. <laughs> wow. Oh, so, that, so that's how you know it's liver pain because it hurts yeah. everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I rub, I rub my shoulder and say, oh, my liver is really bothering me. <laughs> so you, you've had a rough journey because not long after I met you, you were diagnosed with Parkinson's? Nope, I was diagnosed with uh, chronic heart failure. Oh, wow. Mm. I, I, I just remember you saying that your hand was shaking a little bit and it made yep. it difficult to write poetry. And I just assumed the, that that was the Parkinson's. The shaking of my hands is a disease that I've had from my for my whole life. It's called essential tremor. My wow. father had it. I have it. My son has it. It's uh, the, I always tell people if they remember Catherine Hepburn, she always spoke with that kind of catch in her voice and shook and hers yes. was essential tremor too. So the essential tremor is I've, I've dealt with my whole life. The heart condition came from, they diagnosed it as uh, related to sleep apnea. So I went on a CPAP machine I sleep with a, a face mask every night and uh, that mm. blows air into my face. And, and, my, and my heart healed up. I haven't had any problems with my heart since I last spoke to you. Oh, great. Oh, Sorry, you, you said your son has it. Are you a late, like, <laughs> a late um, to the priesthood? Is that, am, it's, I, it's, am I getting it's, that right? It's funny because I know the story here. That didn't even <laughs> occur to me that that's going to sound a bit strange to everyone else. Father Fox, shall we go? Let's, let's go back. Let's go. <laughs> so, so I'll go way back. I'll go back to my first inclinations of a vocation. When I was growing up as a child, in the, I was born in 1950, and I grew up in a, 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 a community in North Casper, or North Rapid City, South Dakota. And there were a lot of Indian people who grew up in that neighborhood. And the church that I belonged to had a school called St. John the Evangelist. 
And I attended St. John Evangelist School uh, for six years. And then I uh, went to public schools um, in junior high and high school. There was, there was a particular priest who had always inspired me. He, was, he had been my priest at the church in Rapid City for many years. His name was William O'Connell. And uh, he eventually was uh, made a monsignor. And uh, I was able to um, con-celebrate at his funeral mass. I, I used him as a spiritual director when he was still living in Rapid City. The, the priests in Wyoming often go to Rapid City for a retreat. And so I would make my retreats uh, and, and visit with Monsignor O'Connell. And he, he was truly an inspiration to me. But my brother, who's also a priest, he went into the seminary after his first year of, of college. He went to the University of Wyoming. He was studying pharmacy. He had a roommate who belonged to the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who was trying to convert him. And so he decided he had a vocation to the priesthood. So when he went into the seminary, I was like a junior in high school. And I, I told him, I remember telling him, you know, I've followed you my whole life. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's a gifted musician. I said, if you're going into the seminary, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so, so I did and uh, kind of went off on my own journey. And I was, I got a bachelor's degree in journalism, but I had worked to uh, pay my way through college at McDonald's. I managed McDonald's restaurants in Rapid City. And I would always go home on, on vacations and work a few hours. After I graduated, I found out that McDonald's paid a lot more than journalism. Than journalism. <laughs> so I just went back to McDonald's and I stayed there till I was 34 years old. I met a woman there, got married. The, the marriage didn't last very long. It was less than five years. We had the one son, Matthew is his name. We went through a period to try and determine custody and we were sharing custody of him for a while. And then his mother decided to take him to Las Vegas, Nevada. And so she moved away with him to Las Vegas. And that was kind of the uh, end of my regular contact with him. I did still have visitations with him over the years. He, I've been estranged from him for two years. And I think a part of it is, I think he's still grieving some of the things, wishing that I could have protected him more from maybe some of the things that happened to him. I don't know that, but uh, that's just mm. my speculation. So after his mother and I divorced and I was working at McDonald's, I knew I didn't want to stay there for the, the, the rest of my life. So I, I worked with a counselor who uh, gave me some tests. And I re remember one test in particular called the personality profile uh, test. And I remember when I took that test, I, I scored real low with as a priest. <laughs> I wasn't that that wasn't even in the middle. It was at the bottom, and and uh, you know I was kind of just realized I had an obligation to my son. I spent a lot of time, you know, with with him. That all of my free time would be with him. But I went back to the University of Wisconsin after working with a counselor and I got a master's in social work and I started working as a family therapist. 
And I did that um, in Appleton, Wisconsin for three years. By then my son had returned to South Dakota with his mother and I wanted to be closer. And I found that there was a job in Casper, Wyoming for a mental health therapist. So in 1990, I went to Casper and started working at the mental health center there. In 1997, my son turned 18, graduated from high school and joined the army. And so he had his own life to live and I was free to do what I wanted. And before that, the year before that, just one little story, because it's significant to my journey. I had met a woman at the counseling center where I worked, but we were both employees there. And there was a rule that you didn't, uh, you know, date other employees. We kind of flirted with each other, but we avoided dating each other. But um, so in the summer of uh, 1996, she moved to Minneapolis and uh, decided she was going to go to law school. And uh, I was considering moving to Minneapolis and joining her and getting married to her. I had an annulment. She did not. So she had to uh, go through the process of an annulment. She was raised as a Methodist. And I was pretty encouraged by her um, willingness to go through the process of an annulment. But I was visiting her one time and we drove to the uh, Basilica of St. Mary to attend mass on a Sunday morning. I would usually go with her to a, a Methodist service um, on Saturday or Sunday evening, but we went to the Basilica of St. Mary. And as we were driving there, she said to me, today when communion comes, I'd like you to just stay with me and not go to communion. And I remember pulling the car over and saying, you don't realize what you're asking me. Communion is, you know, central to my experience of, of the mass. I can't just skip that. The source and summit of Christian life. Exactly. So, so all during the mass, as the mass was proceeding, I was just really struggling because I knew that I had to make a choice. This was one of those life moments where God says, make a choice. And I knew that that moment had come for me. And when communion time came, I went to communion. And that made me realize how devoted I was to uh, the sacrament of the Eucharist, that my vocation was really to the priesthood, not to marriage. He said, not, not only am I going to receive communion, I'm going to transubstantiate as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew when I uh, went back to, uh, uh, you know, after communion, that uh, that was pretty much the end of our relationship. And she knew it too. And it's interesting. She not only went on and got her law degree, she's now a Methodist minister. Oh, wow. Hmm. So we both followed our hearts and uh, I feel like I made the right choice and I'm sure she feels like she made the right choice too. <laughs> and, and as a mature age student, you went to Rome, is that right? In 2013, one of my, a member of my parish who was studying in Rome was being ordained to the diaconate and he invited me to go over there. And I had a very generous woman in the parish who made that possible gave me enough money to go over. So I got to uh, attend his ordination 
and celebrate mass in St. Peter's Basilica where the ordination occurred. I got to see Pope Francis as he was driving around the square. And I remember it was just, it was a very moving moment for me. And someone took a picture of me as I was walking into St. Peter's and most of the priests were looking very reverent with their hands folded and looking down. And I was looking up with my mouth hanging open going, wow, <laughs> wow. Tell you what, you, the, the background story is one of the things that obviously I remembered incorrectly. So that was all very new to me. For some reason, I had it in my head that that's a good confession, especially after 10 minutes, 10 minutes ago when you said, I know the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought, I thought that you were about eight, 18 years old when you had your son and that you were the primary carer, but all of that was around the other way. I was 26 years old when my son was born. So, yeah. so how, how old were you when you were ordained, Father Fox? So I was uh, 50 years old when I was ordained. Wow. And I'm always really oh, wow. grateful to the Bishop of Wyoming for allowing me at the age of 46 to enter the seminary because there were other people in other states who were being denied that opportunity. And, and my bishop listened to my story and said, uh, you know, we will support you. And, and he did. And I'm very grateful for that. And uh, I've served now 19 years as a priest. I think I've uh, made my... Uh, I remember I had to sign a promissory note that if I left the priesthood within 10 years, I would have to pay back a percentage. So if I left the priesthood after one year, I would have to pay back 90% of the loan mm. and as, as such. And then, so when I finally got to 10 years of priest, the loan was paid off and I've continued to serve for nine more. So 19 I, good years as a priest. I had, uh, I had one of them in, a, in one job too, where you had to, if you left before two years, you had to pay back your travel ex for them to move you to that city. Yep. Uh, but, but I left after nine months and no one said anything about it. So. <laughs> cool story, Marty. <laughs> God was good to you too. Amen, brother. <laughs> Father Dave, did you have to do a personality test as well? And, and did you pass? There's a, there's a psychological assessment before you join the seminary, which uh, no one quite knows whether it's trying to work out whether you're sane or insane to see whether you're qualified. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I did that when I joined. Yeah, I can't rem remember much about it. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> they obviously let you through. Yes. Yours was a much more direct route. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I started my journey when I was 21 uh, and I was 30 when I was ordained. Mm. It's a fairly long process with the MGLs, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I, I think because we're doing a lot of cross-cultural ministry, so we put a lot of emphasis on ministry training and, and being a part of a religious order. You've got the novitiate before you even start the seminary study. Father Fox was doing a, a lot of cross-life experience before joining the seminary. That was part of his training. Yes. I got a master's degree in social work. And while I was at the University of Wisconsin, I needed, I felt like I needed some spiritual growth. So I ended up taking 20 hours of religious study classes, a small private college, Catholic college in uh, Madison. And, and I got really inspired by a sister there who encouraged me to not let go of the desire to be a priest. And uh, Sister Mary Margaret Pasden, she was a Dominican scripture scholar, 
and I had several classes from her while I was studying for my master's in social work. And I just was really inspired. So I kind of had parallel tracks going for counseling and, and spiritual growth. And uh, I'm really grateful for all of that. I can imagine that with all the life experience that you've had, that there would be ample opportunity to genuinely walk alongside parishioners as opposed to simply give theory. You know, one of the things that always surprised me is that when I was a, a counselor at the Central Wyoming Counseling Center in Casper, people would pay 90 to $100 an hour to spend time with me. As a priest, my advice was free and I had few takers. <laughs> uh, gold. So it's reminded me of Father Dave talking about people paying hundreds of dollars to have someone force them to do push-ups and sit-ups. And, yes. and yet when that discipline comes at another level, we, we reject it completely. Mm. Can I ask another question? Certainly. Please. When you were going way back in that story, can you pinpoint a time when when Jesus found you or when you found Jesus? You know, I grew up in a family with, um, there were seven of us siblings and we would pray the rosary, uh, my father and mother and all of my siblings. Can't go wrong. We would pray the rosary in the evening. And I remember a particular time, it was the day that Pope Pius Twelfth died. And we were praying for Pope Pius that because he had just died. And my dad led us through the prayer. And then we started praying that we would get a good new Pope. But I, it was a very full family life. I still have wonderful contact with my brothers and sisters. We're all still very close, all still living. And uh, they've all been a blessing to me. I think about my son who was an only child. And I think the, he's gonna miss uh, having siblings because it's been one of the joys of my life. So, hold on, I'm just doing calculation here. So, just to sum up those numbers, seven, you've got seven siblings total, including you? Yes, four sisters and two brothers. Seven children, and as a family, you said the rosary every night, and 28.5% of those children became priests. Yeah. Can't argue with those numbers. Can't argue with those numbers. <laughs> is is uh, the rest of the family, are your sisters still very active in their faith? Um, one of my sisters is, married a, a Baptist and joined the Baptist church to be with him. And one of my other sisters is kind of marginal. She's going to a community church. All the rest are pretty good Catholic people, but we all get along. Right. That's awesome. Uh, how are you, a personal question, how are you and your brother coping with your, your current cancer battle? My brother's been a real blessing. He's, his parish is just a few minutes away. And like today, he came over and had lunch with me and the other retired priests who are here. And uh, he knows them. And I think he's curious to see what I'm telling them about him. So you don't, you don't have any of this, like, this, this, uh, this town ain't big enough for two father foxes. No, <laughs> we get along very well. What, what is his, what's his name? James, Father James Fox. Father oh, Fox, yes. come on. <laughs> There's another uh, priest here in the prophet Elijah house whose, whose name is Bob. And him and I are, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to decide how we're going to work that out. Bob, and both of us respond. So we're working on that. 
Maybe I'll go to, I was listening to you guys talk about the uh, saints on one of the podcasts and my confirmation saint was St. Nicholas. And, you know, so I thought maybe maybe I can be St. Nicholas in my retirement. (laughs) You take take another name. Well, yeah. on on that note, Father, I did have a note here. I wrote down one thing to ask you about your favorite saint. Is it Saint Nicholas? Saint Therese of Lisieux. Yeah, mm. I've been very blessed. When I had a surgery back in 2018, I was very near death. I had a neuroendocrine tumor. I had had an emergency surgery in Oklahoma. I drove back to Wyoming after the initial surgery and ended up needing a second surgery just two weeks later. And I remember the doctor telling me, you know, if I don't do this surgery, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. And I said, well, then please do it. And, and I remember coming out of the surgery that um, I, there, there were two people. There was Sister Gabriel, who was my first and fourth grade teacher. She was a Benedictine, and I was close to her my whole life. And when she knew she was dying of stomach cancer, she came to Sheridan, Wyoming, where I was at the time, and asked if I would concelebrate at her funeral. And my brother and I were able to do that with Monsignor O'Connell. So I had this vision of seeing the face of Therese of Lisieux and the face of Sister Gabriel as I was coming out of the anesthesia. And when I opened my eyes, there were two women who were members of my parish. And I said, it doesn't get any better than this. I close my eyes and see the saints in heaven. And I open my eyes and see the saints on earth. (laughs) I'd love to hear their version of that story. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a a t-shirt you can buy just recently, which had a picture of St. Teresa of Lisieux on it. And the caption said, a little flower goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant. But they won't yep. ship it to Australia because of COVID. So, yeah. <laughs> Father Dave, guys, question of you. So Father Fox has mentioned a couple of times there, uh, Monsignor O'Connell. Who was the role model in your life at a priestly level? Who was it that guided you and, and inspired you? Oh, good question. There, there, there was a few priests around who were just like seriously holy priests. You know, the sort of priests where they'd be up at 4.30 in the morning before the Blessed Sacrament for three hours before Mass. So there, there was a couple of priests in Perth when I was growing up where very much inspired me. And I just thought they, they just prayed. like They just loved prayer, understood that intercession was the powerhouse of their ministry. The strange thing for me was that I was... But Father Doug? Yeah, Doug would be up there. and uh got to be one of those. <laughs> yes. Actually, I was, thinking, I was thinking about Father Doug before. Mm-hmm. Father Fox, when you mentioned that you came at the bottom of that test that you had to do for becoming a priest, there is a, a priest over in Perth in Western Australia, Father Doug, who found it really difficult to be ordained and yet is one of the most humble and uh, holy priests you'd ever want to he- meet. He is a machine. Mm. Mm. Hours in the confessional, perpetual adoration at his church 24-7. And people selling their houses so they can move into his parish. And you know, like, he, He's amazing. Yeah. So you're in good company. But you know, the, the strange thing was I, I was always kind of reluctant to go to the priesthood. Like I, initially, I just wanted to be a brother. I, but you didn't take to extremes and go and get married first well, no, or anything. No, no. But I, yeah, like I, <laughs> I, I felt God putting this call on me and I was sort of very reluctantly following. Um, 
<laughs> even up until my diaconate, I was still kind of, I think, haggling with God saying, really? Do, do, do we really need to do this? <laughs> but uh, it got me in the end. Uh, can I ask you a question? But for both Father Fox and Father Callahan, the moment when having been ordained, the moment in priesthood where you had that sense of this is a privilege. I don't know whether it's a sense of great, deep satisfaction in following Christ. I don't mean excitement, almost a peace in the battle. Does that make sense? A sense of great privilege at being a priest. Is there a moment that stands out? I think for me, anytime I hear confession, you know, I had spent a lot of years as a therapist and I had heard many people make confessions of lots of things, but to be able to offer absolution, that's always just astounds me. Yeah, um, so I think it's amazing. So let's think about that a bit these days, think about healing and stuff. And there's, in all those sort of natural counselling kind of, you know, they're good, but it's it seems to me that it's really like scratching the surface in a lot of ways. That without without Jesus, there's not really that much healing. Agreed. That, that can be dished out on a, on a natural level. And when you walk out from the other end of the confessional, and you're free. It's 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 amazing what Jesus does through the church. Father Dave, I, I'd say the same thing. R- ran a bit of trivia, Sam. You were the first confession I ever heard. What? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was ordained in Canberra and then went straight down to Wollongong for YMT training, and wow. it was wow. like that that day that I arrived. You're like, can I go to confession? I'm like. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> just just pretend you've done it before. <laughs> so I always remember that. That was very significant. Wow. And yeah, no, in terms of... Oh, well, it wasn't because of how bad he was. Well, I, I don't remember. The, I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the good thing. I don't remember either, which means you probably did it correctly. I, <laughs> <laughs> but no, as, as an experience of ministry, confession is the highlight, I think, because... For me, it's like you're getting in touch with the heart of God for these people. Like the person comes into the confessional feeling horrible and filled with shame. And I find myself sitting there thinking, you've got no idea. Like if you understood how much God loves you, you'd be weeping right now. Like you. And is that, is that all you got? <laughs> <laughs> it's all you need. I'll ask you guys, fathers, in terms of confession, there are, there are some churches who offer confession there are some priests that offer confession before every mass right this half hour before mass there's confession available and there's most priests or most parishes that don't you know a couple of generations ago i think that was much more normal but it it's hard to find a parish where you can immediately go to confession before mass and i just think that's really important for people to be able to in order to go to mass in a state of grace and receive communion, that kind of thing. But it's not, it's not offered very much. It, it disappoints me. But so, so far you've made a statement. Do you have a question? Yeah. Well, um, my experience. Please, it... please discuss. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you, so what do you think about what I just said? <laughs> my experience is that a lot of priests sit in the confessional feeling very lonely because no one comes to them. But most parishes mm. put confession on at the worst time for people. We, we, put, we put it on a time which is most convenient for the priest, but it's always just around dinner time for families or, you know, so only the old ladies in the parish are going to get there at the right time. But my experience, we, at the times when we've done it, at times that meet the people's need, we're overloaded. 
yeah. people have. There's a real hunger in people for that. Well, anytime you might need to go to confession, you know, you gotta, you just turn up to Father Doug's half an hour before evening mass any day, and he's there. So, so Marty, you know, uh, what what what's the chances that you're going to study theology and become a married deacon? <laughs> What are you going to say? What's the chance of you going to confession today? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, as you know, Sam, my, my old man is a permanent deacon, married deacon. I don't know. What, what's the chances? I mean, it's higher than zero. Wouldn't. What are the chances you've been accepted? I'd probably, I'd probably have to discuss this with my wife before making any declarations. Hey, that would be prudent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sort of have, a fair bit of trouble doing what I'm told. So that might be, that might be a problem. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, now, earlier on, Father Fox, you mentioned Appleton. Uh, Marty and Father Dave, we have a good friend, uh, Justin Carrick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He went to Appleton. I don't know oh. if he's still there or he's in North Carolina, but... It was a very nice community. I enjoyed uh, three years there working for Outagamee County Social Services and... Uh, there was a, a wonderful church that I attended. It was St. Mary's, and that was Irish, a lot of Irish people. And then two blocks away, there were German people who went to St. Joseph's. And uh, <laughs> so I just attended the Irish church. Nice. nice. Well, I'll find out from Justin where he went. Uh, Justin joined me, Father Fox, on the Trans-Siberian Railway on the walk around the world. Uh, and then later married a girl from the United States, Gretchen, and they moved back to the United States and moved to Appleton. My former bishop in Wyoming, Bishop David Ricken, left Wyoming to become the bishop of Green Bay, which includes Appleton. So I, I still have a connection there. You, bishop you, Rickon is the one who ordained me to the priesthood. Ah, Green Bay. That's the Green Bay Packers, is it? Yes, it is. Right, I'm not like I'm rubbish at U.S. geography. I looked up. I looked up this morning where Wyoming was and saw that it was a big square state above Utah, above Colorado. I was, Utah. I was close then. <laughs> One of the things I've learned in this home is that most of the other priests are from Colorado. I'm the only one from Wyoming, and they have all these affiliations with parishes and people and. They'll be talking about them at lunch, and I have no clue about any of these parish communities. And uh, so I'm going to have to brush up on my Colorado geography. That's what that's what we like when Sam talks about his walk. What? Too far? Too far? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Father Fox, the, the places you, you have named so far today being uh, Denver in Colorado, uh, Wyoming, South Dakota, uh, Wisconsin. There are some pretty stunning places there. Bit of a random question, but is there a particular place, just the view, the place? It could be a town, could be a mountain, but you've got a favorite place there amongst them all. The place I took you. We drove up Casper Mountain. Oh, yeah, that's where I took your profile and, picture. And you took my picture, and it's still on my Facebook page. <laughs> but that's one of my favorite to, to be able to look out over the whole town of Casper. And, you know, I've spent many years in that town and consider that home. And, and, and I always, as I told you, when people come, I take them up on the hill and, and uh, show them the whole town. And I took you up there. I'll tell you another story about someone I took up there. There was a priest who came from India to join us in January. 
And I took him up there in January when it was very cold and there was a big pile of snow. And I said, let's walk up to the top of this. And he thought I was going to sacrifice him. (laughs) (laughs) Did you make him him carry the wood? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what he tells people now. He said, my first day in Wyoming, I thought Father Fox was going to sacrifice me. Uh, going back to the meetings that you're involved with, uh, with all the other denominations in Casper, was there a particular method by which you found there was good fruit in those discussions? You know, it was always a challenge because the people had their own, you know, many of them had their own agendas and were trying to find ways to get me to ignore some of what Catholic teaching is. And I was present for a lot of those meetings where the discussion was, why do we keep this Catholic guy in here? Because if he wasn't here, we could do all of these, all of these things. And he's the only one that says no to them. Because he won't compromise. Yeah. Because he doesn't compromise. have any authority to change the teachings of the apostles. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it was because of that experience that the bishop finally withdrew the catholic presence from that community Mm. really Mm. i I remember you saying to me at one point that you would often put on the table some some difficult subjects and and at times you would edge closer to understanding where each other stood yeah I, i mean i always think it's helpful and i always told people to be able to sit around a table even if we have disagreements we're not killing each other like they are in some countries We're not shooting each other uh, over matters of faith. We're able to talk and and celebrate uh, some friendship, some fellowship, enjoy meals together. There were certainly many prayer opportunities with those people that I learned things about their forms of prayer that uh, I think enriched my life. It wasn't all being critical of the Catholics. They were there were some people who were very respectful for what Catholics had to teach too. Um, I think disagreements are really important. Like from you know, you know, we, we know, you know yeah, well, we know uh, you think that <laughs> from a business perspective. The stuff of like the last thing you want is everyone just to sit around and go, yeah, yeah, we all agree. Let's just go down that path. It, it offers you nothing in terms of um, making the right decision unless uh, unless there's some real discussion around it. Yeah, and, and what I started with, too, or, or some playful banter, you know, that there was sometimes there was playful banter and we were able to engage each other at that level. I remember there, and there was one person in particular that I remember was very, she was a Quaker lady who was very strongly advocating abortion. And I had many discussions with her and toward the end of her life, she was able to come to me and say, I appreciate the discussions we've had, even though I don't agree with you. And I thought that was huge. Mm. The question that's been on my mind, Father Fox, is if you're obviously going through treatment at the moment for illness, and I assume you're not doing any ministry at the moment. I was in Glenrock last weekend, and then I came to Denver on Friday and sent a message to the bishop that... Uh, I, I doubt if I'm going to be able to go back. Yeah. I, I, I'm just curious to know what your experience of the priesthood is. Because I, 
I, I know for a lot of people, they look at priests and see the identity of a priest being very functional, like it's about what you do. But I'm always fascinated to talk to retired priests or priests who are sick, their sense of priestly identity when they can't be necessarily ministering publicly. Yeah, that's a challenge. And I think it's one of the, uh, I was having discussions with the bishop about making this move. And he said that I was sending him conflicting signals. And I said, of course I am, because I'd love to be able to cling to my parish and the people I know in Glenrock. But I also recognize the reality of my physical condition that I'm no longer able to be a pastor to them. And they deserve someone to, to be able to do that, to respond to them and, and be present to them. I'm no longer able to do that. Mm. But if I get asked to help out at a penance service and I feel an okay or asked to help out at uh, my brother's church, I, I don't know if he'd let me preach. I might tell a story about him. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to ask Father Fox, favorite devotion? But apart from the Colorado Rockies, like spiritual devotion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the one that I'm really focused on right now that I prayed as part of the office for a long time is uh, the Canticle of Zechariah. Oh, and yeah. to me, there is no more beautiful phrase than that phrase in there that to me sums up what life and death is all about. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall come upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's that's Amen. my faith. Amen. Sounded like a uh, sounded like sound a closing like, prayer, but that I don't think sound, we're quite, we're like not quite there yet. No, no, no. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm sick of the music over this. <laughs> well, I want to. Um, I, I just think we should pray for vocations, particularly the priesthood. This just seems appropriate at the end of this episode. So, uh, does someone else want to do that? Go for it, Marty. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Thank you for our priests and our and our bishops and our parishes. Thank you, thank you particularly for our two priests on the on the show today. We pray, Lord, that you would invite other young men to join the priesthood and to serve you in that way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Father. Thank you guys for letting me share this time with you. Would you like could you give us a blessing, Father Fox? The Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You're off the hook this week, Father Dave. Yeah, I can slack <laughs> off. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Father Fox, Marty has created a couple of Sons of Thunder t-shirts. And I hope it's okay, but we'll be sending one over to Denver in Colorado to Elijah House to you. Please, please do. It'll take a while, but it'll get there eventually. It'll get there. <laughs> Okay. I've enjoyed listening to you guys. Like I said, your, your joyful banter is a, a, a wonderful blessing. Keep it up. Thanks, man. That's, uh, Thank you. That's exactly what Father Dave wanted us to do, which we agreed with. Like. <laughs>